Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tashina. I apologize for the video quality. I think that had something to do with this guy right here, but hopefully you could hear it well. Good morning. Uh, welcome to those of you that are in this room with us, and welcome to those that are watching online. Uh, either way, it's a blessing to be together. Uh, I was trying to think about uh, the first time I tied my shoes this morning. Do you remember when you learned how to tie your shoes? Or do you remember when you learned how to ride a bike? Or do you remember when you learned how to throw or catch a ball? Do you remember the first time you tried ice cream? I don't either. <laughs> I don't remember any of that stuff. I forget stuff all the time. But I realize I do know how to ride a bike. Uh, I did tie my own shoes this morning. Uh, nobody had to tie them for me. I know that I know how to eat ice cream, and I like it. Uh, and all those things that I just talked about, at some point in time, we were taught how to do that. There's all kinds of things that we are taught, and we just don't remember being taught. You may have a better memory than I, or maybe learning to ride a bike was more traumatic for you than it was for me. Or maybe it was so traumatic for me, I just put it out of my memory. But I know how to ride a bike, and it's just kind of part of me. If you bring a bike up, I get on it. I don't have to think about it. It just kind of comes out. It's, it's kind of deep, deep within me. And I, I think uh, this morning, that's the, it's kind of the sentiment I want us to start with because this morning I want to talk about praying like Jesus. And if we're going to pray like Jesus, then part of what we have to ask is, you know, where does that come from? And I think it's pretty clear if you are praying like Jesus uh, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love, your Lord, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Deuteronomy 6. That was deep in there with Jesus. And we know it was deep in there because he was a Jew, and that's the Jewish prayer. That's what every Jew was taught. And even today still is predominant uh, for Jews this was kind of what they were taught. So from the earliest of ages, Jesus would have been taught and would have begun reciting the Shema at least a couple times a day. So it was, it's kind of his gut instinct. And so when Mark 12 comes along and a disciple, a teacher of the law, not a disciple, a teacher of the law comes to Jesus and he's trying to prioritize things and he says, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus doesn't have to think about it. He just immediately comes out with something that's been a part of him since the youngest of his days. And he says, love the Lord your God. Well, he starts with, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. He quotes the prayer that he would have been taught from the youngest of age. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then the teacher of the law only asks for one commandment. But as Jesus sometimes does, he wants to make sure you're getting the point. And the point isn't just this one thing, but how it actually looks is if you love the Lord with all your heart, then Jesus says in Mark 12 to the teacher of the law, and the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, that's it. So we have the Shema, which is traditional, been around for 3,500 years, People have been taught to pray that. And then Jesus comes along 2,500 or 1,500 years into that, 
and he takes the Shema, and he kind of has the Jesus Shema, and he says, it's about loving the Lord, but because you guys really, because I'm human, and you really need to not be able to get away with just saying, love the Lord, I'm going to tack this on, and quotes Leviticus 19.18, and says, you've got, if you're going to love the Lord your, your God, it means you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, and he puts those two things together in a new way, And I think there was a consistency to the way Jesus lived this out so much that his disciples come to him one day in Luke 11, and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. That's a great question. Teach us how to pray. But it's also kind of a strange question, because guess who knew how to pray? The people that were asking Jesus, teach us how to pray. They already knew. They had been with Jesus. They were Jews. They knew the Shema, and they probably heard the bonus Shema when Jesus was teaching. So they knew this, and yet they saw something in the life, I am guessing both the interior life of Jesus and the way he treated people, where they realized what he does in prayer and then what comes out of his life is not what happens when we go into prayer and then what comes out in our life. And so he says, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And then we get kind of this version, Matthew 6, Luke 11, and some different manuscripts. And this traditional version of the Lord's Prayer is uh, what, what many of us have grown up learning. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. This has echoes of the Shema. So if we're going to pray like Jesus, I think we want to look at what the Shema was about this love the Lord your God with everything that's in you and love your neighbor, and then see how it fleshes itself out in this prayer. First, when we start breaking down the Lord's prayer, there's this vertical element to it. So if we're praying like Jesus, there's this vertical, there's this point in the prayer between God and us, and it starts with Father. And that's a really special word because it's the word Abba. And so it's, it's not just a, oh, heavenly father, transcendent one that's out there, but kind of, you know, too powerful for me to actually call with an intimate or familial term. But he, he uses the word, the, the personal family word for father, Abba. And so Jesus all of a sudden introduces a level of intimacy that maybe his disciples had known or his disciples weren't comfortable with. My mom and dad were actually here this morning. They live in Middle Tennessee, and they came to visit, and they were, uh, they were in first service. And when, my, when I call my dad, uh, he'll pick up. He'll say, hey, Jimbo, or hey, buddy, or something like that. And I always say, hey, big poppy. I don't know why I call him that. <laughs> Sometimes it's hey, pops. And I don't think I started doing that until I was an adult, for, but probably a solid 15, 20 years. It's, hey, big poppy. Hey, pops. I don't call any other guy that. I'm not a Red Sox fan, so I don't even know why I call He's not a Red Sox fan. He's a Braves fan. So I don't know why I ever started calling him big poppy. 
For those of you who don't know why I'm referencing the Red Sox, don't worry about it. But that's a special term that I have for my dad. And there's some really special men in this church, even in this room right now, that are kind of fatherly figures to me. But only, that, only James Hinkle gets, gets that one term. And, and I think there's a hint of what Jesus is talking about when he starts the prayer and he's teaching his disciples and he says, I want you to start with Abba. It kind of sets the stage that there is this interconnectedness between us and the one who created us. But then it also kind of backs away and he says, Hallowed be thy name. So on the one hand, you're my you're my dad, you're my pops. It's close, it's personal. On the other hand, you are holy, you are transcendent, you are beyond me and beyond my understanding and my full comprehension. And so I'm going to be someone that is close and intimate with you, but I am subject to you. Which he moves into the next part of the prayer. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So it's about what God wants, not about what I want, which we really get twisted up in our prayer lives, right? I do that very, very often where I'm extremely concerned that God knows exactly what I want in my prayer. Even though scripture teaches I'm supposed to pray what he wants. Oh, and by the way, he already knows what I want before it even makes it to my lips. And yet, that's where so much of our prayer life exists, in this place where we treat God like a genie and we try to rub the the lamp just the right way, and therefore, the wish will come true, whatever I ask for. But, But Jesus sets this relationship up, and he clearly says, it's about my kingdom and not yours, and if you'll get on board with what I'm on board with in prayer and in life, then things are going to start to happen. Things are going to happen on earth the way they're happening in heaven. And man, I wish we could kind of peel back the layers, but Jesus knew what was happening on earth, and he could see it happening in heaven. So we have this vertical part where God is, he's, he's a close father, he's a daddy, but he's also this powerful uh, king of the kingdom, all in, all in this one prayer, this one moment. So there's this vertical, this vertical element in the Lord's prayer. And then there's this horizontal element. So just like the Shema has this love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and then love your neighbors like yourself, Jesus too, which I think makes sense because it was buried deep in with, that, that's who he was. He starts saying, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So there's this horizontal element, and just as Jesus knew, if you're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, it's going to show up in the way you love your neighbors. Jesus is saying, when you pray, if you can get your mind wrapped around this being in the presence of God, it's going to affect your relationships on earth. And what I love about the last part of the Lord's Prayer is he's just said, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then Jesus explains kind of what that looks like. Because don't, isn't that that what we want to know? 
How do we know when your kingdom has come? How do we know when we see it? So Jesus takes these three things. I don't think they're all-encompassing, but I think they're really fundamental, foundational into what it means to experience the kingdom of God. And first is the kingdom of God is a place where needs are met. So many of us, we operate from a place or a theology of scarcity where we just think there's not enough. There's not enough time. There's not enough money. There's not enough food. There's not enough energy. There's not enough resources. God does not operate like that. God is a God of abundance. And so we can come into his throne room with confidence and say, give us today our daily bread. And God says, you got it. There is enough bread. There's enough bread to feed everybody in this room and in this town and in this world. There's enough. There's enough. God can do that. And so pray for it to happen. That's why in Acts 2 and Acts 4, when the church was just beginning twice, they are, it's noted that they share the possessions and no one among them had a need. Do you remember that line? Man, wouldn't that be awesome to have that line about Sycamore View or about the Christians in Memphis that, man, in Memphis, everybody eats because of the Christian community, because they believe that God is providing the daily bread. So your kingdom looks like a place where people have what they need. It looks like a place where people share. It looks like a place where people give abundantly. That's a mark of the kingdom. And then he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And the first one kind of hits at our tendency to hold on tightly to stuff or to be greedy. And the second one, whew, it goes deep and it goes into our deepest of hurts. And Jesus says, pray that the level of forgiveness you offer to others is what God gives to you. <laughs> like, Ouch. Really? I'd, I'd rather kind of be very stingy in my forgiveness and let you, God, be the one <laughs> that does lots and lots of forgiving. But in the kingdom, Jesus is saying, forgiveness flows freely. It's a marker of the kingdom of Christ. It's a place where people offer forgiveness. Peter comes to him. You remember this? Peter comes and he says, says Jesus, if somebody does something against me, how many times do I have to forgive them? And he says, even up till seven? Like, Peter is being pretty generous. I think he feels pretty good about his answer. And Jesus, I don't know if he shook his head or if he laughed, but he responded with uh, seven times 70. And I don't think Peter laughed. <laughs> Peter probably thought, you got to be kidding me. But that's, that's a marker of the life of Jesus. That's the marker of people who live in the kingdom. They offer forgiveness. And they offer it even pre-repentant. Okay, I'm, I'm pretty good at forgiving people who deserve forgiveness in my mind. And I bet you are too. I'm pretty good offering people forgiveness when they've done something wrong, they acknowledge it and they try to make it right. But that is not kingdom forgiveness. That's the way the world forgives. The divisions, the factions, the dissensions that we have running rampant right now, a lot of it is because people will refuse to forgive people until they've come over to their side. And justice and forgiveness are, are two different things, and I'm big on the justice scale, 
But I'm talking about forgiveness at the moment as a kingdom characteristic because that's where Jesus puts it. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, it would have been a lot easier for us if he had said, I'm going to forgive all of you that are killing me, but I need, until you, I need for you to acknowledge your wrongdoing first. Wouldn't that have been nice? <laughs> but he doesn't. So he kind of removes that practical way of forgiveness. I think that we feel good about and safe about and justified about when we say, I'll forgive somebody after they say they're sorry, after they've made it right. But Jesus hangs on the cross. He says, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. And in the moment where they're executing him, literally literally killing him, he offers forgiveness to them, pre-repentant forgiveness. That's nuts. (laughs) It's radical. And so is the kingdom of God. Now, I said there's a difference between justice and forgiveness, and this is not a this is not an invitation for you to forget and forgive. I didn't say forget. And I also am not saying people should not be held accountable for when they do wrong things. This is not a hey, just always forgive everybody all the time. It doesn't forgiveness is different than accountability. Forgiveness is different than justice. Forgiveness frees me to move on. Whether you deserve it or not, forgiveness lets me move on. Forgiveness is what allows me to live freely in the kingdom and love you even if I don't like you. That's kingdom forgiveness. Man, we could use some of that. Amen? And, and then the last piece of this vertical relationship, the Jesus prayer that's fleshing out the, the Jesus Shema is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The kingdom, it's a place where people have. It's a place of abundance, daily bread. It's a place where people forgive. It's also a place where people have power to overcome addiction and strongholds. The kingdom is a place where you are not just a victim and you have no power to overcome sin, but it's a redemptive place of power where you can look at temptation and you can say, I can't do this, but Lord, deliver me from this temptation. And man, this week, I've just been, I've probably prayed this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, 1,500 times because I've just tried to let it kind of take hold of my heart. And every time I pray through this prayer and I get to lead us not in temptation, I ask myself, what is my temptation? And I just don't, I'm, I don't want to tell you guys. <laughs> There's a lot of rotten stuff in my heart, especially when it comes to self-righteousness and arrogance, and I'm not proud of it. And I'm in a, a place right now where it's easy to talk about forgiveness, but it's really easy to dehumanize people that I just think are not worthy of my attention, my love, my forgiveness, my affection. It's hard. I think Galatians 5 is kind of a a good dichotomy where Paul is talking. So Paul, I'm sure, was taught uh, by Jesus' disciples how to pray. I don't know if on the Damascus Road when Jesus encounters Paul, there's no documentation that he taught Paul to pray the Lord's Prayer. But I'm sure Paul prayed the Lord's Prayer And in Galatians 5, uh, 
he talks about the fruit of the, the, the flesh or the acts of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. And this is, this, these are some of the things that are temptations that, that are evil and we need delivering from. Five, Galatians 5.19 The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Isn't it interesting? You can almost hear this prayer with Paul thinking, Jesus said, if I'm going to I'm going to pray for your kingdom to come, and when your kingdom comes, I'm not going to live enslaved to sin. Let me put down some chains. Let me list some shackles. And some of these are really easy. We're really good as Christians at pointing out some of these bigger, quote, unquote, or more public sins, right? But I, I get in trouble in the middle of this list. That's where God's kind of worked me over this week the hatred, the discord, dissensions, factions, fits of rage, selfish ambition. Man. <clears throat> but deliverance from evil looks like this. It looks like the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. James Dunn says this in New Testament theology. The first list is all about human manipulation of others for selfish ends. Isn't that interesting? Think about that. At the very heart of all those acts of the flesh, they're about human manipulation of others for selfish ends. But the second is all about the divine enabling and engracing, which brings about a transformation from the inside out, from character to conduct. So we pray, lead us not into the first list and deliver us from that into list two, the second list, the fruit of the Spirit. So I think we need Jesus to teach us to pray again, still. 3,500 years of the Shema taking root in the life and the heart of Jesus fleshes itself out in this prayer for his kingdom to come where there's a vertical element and there's a horizontal element. And I, I think the Lord's prayer it can be transformative if we let it have its way with us. I think if the Lord's prayer has its way with us, God becomes the focus instead of us. I think God will sit on the throne, not ourselves or any other person, including preachers or presidents. If the Lord's prayer has its way with us, God will become a loving father, not a faraway genie who grants our wishes. If the Lord's prayer has its way with us, we will be passionate about Jesus' kingdom more than earthly kingdoms. If the Lord's prayer has its way with us, we will share our money, our homes, our cars, and our possessions with those in need. If the Lord's prayer has its way with us, 
we will work tirelessly to have it said about our spiritual family that there was no need among them. If the Lord's Prayer has its way with us, we will be the first and most frequent people to forgive in this world. If the Lord's Prayer has its way with us, we will forgive when it feels good and when it's completely undeserved. And if the Lord's Prayer has its way with us, we will not be taken captive by any vice, addiction, or ideology except for being willing captors to the reckless love of Christ that will come and find us no matter how far we run. I want to pray like Jesus. There's a, a sign that hangs in my office I'm reminded of this particular weekend, historically. And it's, one of the, it's, it's taken in front of Claiborne Temple in downtown Memphis in 1968, and it's during the sanitation strike. And the, the picket signs that say, I am a man, were the defining image of the sanitation strike. The defining image maybe of Martin Luther King's legacy and ministry and, and advocacy. <clears throat> And, and what that did, they could have said, we want more money, which they did. <laughs> we want better working conditions, which they did. But they went to the heart of the discussion and they said, we're people. And, and I think with the Lord's Prayer, recognizing the humanity of others, it, it brings us into a space where we, we can share and we can forgive and we can help each other. We can, bring, we can see the kingdom come when we can start to see people as people. No matter how marred, no matter how skewed, no matter how messed up the image of God in them is, all of us are not what we are ought to be or what we are fully created to be. And yet, dehumanizing people, if you can, if you can excuse them from being in the humanity of brotherhood, sisterhood, you can do almost anything to people. But if you start to realize their story, they're creating the image of God, and that they're, that's, a, that's a person, it changes things. And Jesus always recognized the humanity. He always loved neighbor as self. And the, that's, that's who we need to be. Praying the Jesus prayer, praying the Lord's prayer is a, is a prayer that leads us into a kingdom place where we love people the way Jesus loved them. That's my hope for us, that we can grow into that this week. No matter what comes this week, that we love people the way Jesus did. If you want to respond this morning, um, <clears throat> we have a shepherd who will be right outside this room, in room 100. If you want to pray with somebody, talk with somebody. Uh, you can have that per in-person contact. If you want to fill out a connect card, even if you're here in person or if you're online, you can go to our website and fin uh, fill out a connect card. We would love to meet you wherever you're at. Thank you, and let's stand and let's sing.